Good morning, City Light. Oh, I love it. Hey, I love being part of this church. I'm so grateful that you've joined us this morning. Around here, we say often that our mission is to multiply disciples and churches. And we want that mission statement not just to be uh, gathering dust on a paper on a shelf somewhere, but we want it to be the lifeblood and the heartbeat of our church. And I think it is. And so it's fun to see God doing that in us and through us and around us, multiplying disciples and churches. Now, some of you may know that Jason, who just introduced me up here, is our church planting resident. That is the fanciest title we could come up with for a guy who just wants to start another church someday. And so he uh, has been pursuing that, and he asked a few of us this last week to go down to Kansas City with him for the day uh, to see what's going on down there. And so we did that. I got to go. And when we were down there, we met with some church leaders in the city. We had a good Kansas City barbecue with the guy who uh, is thinking about jumping in on the core team. And we walked through a building that is for sale. Do we have the picture of the Kansas City barbecue? It's not a great picture. There you go. Dim the lights. We'll make it romantic up here. Um, it's not a great picture, but that's us. I promise we're having barbecue. The food was way better than the picture is. But I wanted to show it because it's getting real. This is the very beginning of City Light Kansas City. God is giving people a vision. Yeah. God's giving people a vision for that city. He's opening doors into people's hearts and homes. And he's even pointing us to places that city like Kansas City might call a home one day. God is on the move and we are praying. And so I just ask, would you guys pray with us? Would you pray for Jason and his family as they get ready to move down there? Pray for the people who will jump in and be part of that team, both people from right here in this room, maybe, and people from Kansas City. Would you pray for lost people in Kansas City that don't yet know Jesus, but will know him because of how God moves in this new church? Would you pray for all of the details that have to come together for this thing to get off the ground down there. Man, would you join us in prayer? Here at the very beginning, we want to start well because how you start matters, doesn't it? We want to start with prayer. Uh, how you start matters. Uh, you've experienced this in life. Uh, when I was in track, when I was in high school, I ran track. Believe it or not, you guys who've been around for a while say, how did he play so many sports? That guy... But I did run track, and when I was a freshman, um, we were figuring out what races we might run, and I looked at the hurdles, and I was just like, those are out from the very beginning. It's just not for me. Um, and so then I uh, ran some sprints, and I remember the coach shouting at me, Eric, stride out! I was like, man, this world is ruthless. And I just looked back, and I was like, I can't stride out, all right? This is the best I got. And so sprints weren't for me either, and that just left the distance races. And so in high school, I ran the mile. And I remember practicing, um, running through town, and at the first meet, I knew who the best runners were, and I thought, here's my strategy. Just run with them. 
I'm just going to keep up with them, and I could win this thing. And so we, they, we line up, they fire the gun, and we took off. And for the first lap, I kept up pretty well. And after lap one, I was just gassed. I had nothing left. I had three laps to go, and I was running on fumes already. It was embarrassing. And uh, so when I got done, I was curled over, breathing hard, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And my coach walks up. He would coached track for a while. He put his hand on my back, and he said, Eric, I've got a new plan for you. Uh, <laughs> you see that guy from Hamburg? He is the right pace guy for you. Don't exhaust yourself at the beginning. Next time, you 200 him and run with him for the first three and a half laps. And then in the last 200 meters, kick hard and you can beat him. I think you can place. So I thought, well, any strategy sounds better than what I just did. And so I'll give that a try. And so I did it, and the next meet, I ran three and a half laps right on this guy's tail. And in the last 200 meters, I kicked, I passed him and another guy, and I placed. And I, started, I, I beat that guy every meet, and I placed in several of them. You guys are shocked. Eric, your athletic stories don't end this way. <laughs> this is the one highlight, okay, from my athletic career. Something went well. I learned in high school that how you start matters but that's not the only thing that matters. There is no insignificant part of the race. The race can be won or lost at the beginning, at the middle, at the end. How you start matters, but how you end matters just as much. Are you following me? Well, this morning in our passage, Paul is going to show us that how we start in our walk with Jesus matters. And how we end matters just as much. Let's read the word together again. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Paul writes, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh. Paul is making a point here. He's asking the Galatians a question with an obvious answer. Having started with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, hey guys, you did not start with the law. In fact, they couldn't have started with the law. These Galatians were Gentiles, not Jews. They couldn't have started by following the law because they didn't even know what the law was. They did not start with the law, having begun by the Spirit, Paul says. He says they heard the gospel preached, they put their faith in Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. That's how they began. It's how they began their faith. It's how they began their church. And Paul is now reminding them how they started, because how they started matters. It was hearing and faith in the Holy Spirit. You see, now the Galatians, they're trying to change course. They're starting to believe something different. They're changing their strategy. Now they're depending on works of the law. They're trying to be perfected by the flesh. That word perfected, it can mean uh, completed, brought to an end, or fulfilled. This is the end. Having started by the Spirit, are you ending by the flesh? 
that word flesh, it's just a thinly veiled reference for circumcision, for the law. And so Paul is saying, you are now trying to end with the law after you started with Christ alone. Do you see what he's saying? The Galatians are adding something to Jesus. They're moving from Jesus plus nothing to Jesus plus the law. And Paul says that's foolishness. It's crazy. In the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at why Paul says that's so foolish. Here's my summary of Paul's explanation. Why is it foolish to end with Jesus plus something after, he be, after they began with Jesus plus nothing? Here it is. Jesus plus something equals cursed. Jesus plus something, Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus anything equals cursed. Jesus plus nothing equals blessed. All right, that's where we're going today. Now, if you've been around uh, for any of our Galatians series, any of our sermons, you will have heard us use this, uh, this formula before. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Uh, Galatians is almost obnoxious in how repetitive it is. It's the same message over and over and over again. Paul has one point that he is driving home. We've been saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But that's just an easy, a summary way to say that there is only one way to get right with God. It is through faith in Christ alone. Your actions can't get you there. Your best deeds, your best self aren't enough. The Bible says that we were dead in our sin. Literally, our rebellion against God had left us dead inside. And a dead person can do nothing to affect their own situation, right? They're dead. And so that's the bad news. We're dead in our sin, unable to do, uh, to become right with God on our own. But the good news is that Jesus came and defeated sin and death. He defeated sin, the very thing that caused our death, And he defeated death, the thing that held us and kept us from life. That's the good news. Jesus, our defeater of sin and death, now gives dead people new life. I'm not making this up. Let me read it to you from Galatians. This is Paul's point. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, when Jesus died for sin, he died my death. My sin led to my own death. And when Jesus took it on himself, it killed him too. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus rose again. Jesus both laid down his life and he took his life back up again. And we know that's true because after Jesus died, he walked out of the grave putting life after death on grand display for all to see. That's that's why Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
The life I now live, I can only live because Jesus gives me life. Anyone who would follow Jesus can find life in his name. Life that is not defeated by sin and death. True life, real life, eternal life are found in Jesus Christ alone. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the message of Galatians. That's what Paul drives home over and over and over again. And so we're just going to keep riding that train today and hopefully sit on a different car so we get a little different view, okay? Um, That's where we're going. Here in Galatians, Paul is telling us that the Galatians church started with Jesus plus nothing. They started with hearing and faith in the Holy Spirit. And yet now, Jesus plus something is creeping into their hearts, creeping into their church. There's an infiltration. And it's a big deal to Paul. In fact, he's so concerned about it, he cannot leave it unaddressed, and he uses some incredibly strong language. He says that Jesus plus something equals a curse. This is not language that I've just chosen for impact. This is literally the words that Paul used in his letter, and so I want to read it to you one more time. Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law, for all who think they can do it by themselves, for all who try to make it on their own, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Things got pretty intense pretty fast with Paul. Here's what I think he's getting at. He's saying that Jesus plus the Old Testament law is Jesus plus something. You're adding to Jesus, and Jesus plus something is not just a second-rate way of getting right with God. It's not like there's some preferred way or some better way, and this is just a second way, and you shouldn't do the second way, you should do the first. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that Jesus plus something is just ineffective at making us right with God. Like, there are some ways that work and some ways that don't. Don't pick one that doesn't work, pick one that does. Paul's not just saying this is ineffective. Paul is not saying that Jesus plus something uh, just makes you miss out on some blessing. Like, man, if you go Jesus plus nothing, you get ice cream, and if you go Jesus plus something, you don't. It's not like you just miss out on the blessing. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus plus something actually brings on a curse. That's serious language. So Paul goes back to the book of Deuteronomy to support this statement. I want to do that too. Uh, He goes back to Deuteronomy where uh, God was making a covenant with his people. He would be their God, they would be his people. This was a binding agreement. And as part of that agreement, as part of setting it up, God set a stage. He said, go to this place where there are two mountains, and those two mountains are side by side. And I want you to set up half of the people of Israel on one mountain and face the other one. 
And I want the other half of the people of Israel to set up on the other mountain and face the first. And there will be a great valley, a great chasm, a divide between the two. Okay, are you tracking with me? People on this mountain looking this way. People on this mountain looking this way. After everybody got set up and in place, the priests of the people of God would shout out the blessings of the covenant to the people on one mountain, and they would shout out the curses of the covenant to the people on the other mountain. This is the last curse that the priests shouted. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed be anyone who doesn't confirm their commitment to this covenant by by doing everything written in this law. And all the people shouted, Amen. I believe. I agree. What a picture. Right? What an illustration of the covenant. What, what God had set up had was a situation where there were only two options. There were two mountains and you had to stand on one and you couldn't stand on both and there's no way to get across the divide between the two. On one mountain was the blessing of God, on the other mountain was the curse On one mountain would stand the people of God. On the other mountain, people in rebellion against God. On one mountain was life. On the other, death. On one mountain was blessing. On the other, curse. On the one mountain was the blessing of life with God. And on the other mountain was the curse of death without him. And in between those two mountains and those two places was a valley where no one could stand. There is no middle ground. There are not levels of obedience to God's word. Either you obey the whole law in all its entirety, confirm the covenant and get God's blessing, or you mess up anywhere and you stand on the mountain of curses. See what's set up here? It's an illustration of what it's like to follow God. And Paul is saying the same thing is true today. There are two places we can stand. And there is a valley, a chasm, a divide between them that we cannot cross on our own. See, like the valley today doesn't separate good people from bad people. The valley today doesn't separate people who get up and come to church on Sunday morning and people who sleep in. It doesn't even separate atheists from people who would say there probably is a God. The valley between life and death, the valley between blessing and curse separates those who would put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. And those who would depend on themselves or anything else to get there without him. You see that picture that Paul is painting? I don't want you to just take my word for it. Let's look at the Bible again. Galatians 3 verse 10 and 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... 
Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's thrown back to Deuteronomy. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. No one is justified before God by the law. No one is made right with God by the law. Nobody can keep it all. All who depend on their own trying are under the curse. Left to ourselves, we stand on the mountain of curses, dead in our sins, separated from God with no ability to cross the divide. We cannot work our way there. We can't be good enough on our own there. We can't try hard enough to get there. We can't earn a ticket across the valley. Left to ourselves, nobody is justified before the law, and we all stand on the mountain of curses. It's a death trap with no way out. City Light, have you ever felt the hopelessness of that death trap? Have you ever felt what it's like to be under the burden of that curse. Do you feel it even now? Let me help you process and reflect. Have you ever thought thoughts like this? If I could just pay off my debt, if I could just kick that habit, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just stop messing up my relationships, if I could just lose the weight, If I could just get my life in order, if I could just, then life would be better. If I could just do it, then life would be better. Have you ever thought anything like that? You see what we're doing? We recognize that things in this life are not all that they could be. We recognize that sometimes life feels like it's under a curse and our situation is hopeless. And then we think... The solution is trying to fix it ourselves. If I could just fill in the blank with whatever you think you can do to fix things on your own. If I could just fill in the blank, I could get off this mountain of curses and cross the valley to the mountain of blessing. My life would be better. We don't use the language of blessing and curse very often. We don't have the picture of the mountains in the valley, but we do this. We think this just like the Galatians did. The Galatians were tempted to fill in the blank with the Old Testament law. They thought they could use that to be good enough on their own, to try harder. We might not use the Old Testament law, but just like the Galatians, we are prone to moving from Jesus plus nothing to Jesus plus something. We are prone to fill in the blank. If I could just, then life would be good. I could be made right. When we do that, it leaves us striving and strained like a dead person to do something we could never do on our own. It's like a dead person striving to make themselves alive again. It's impossible. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Jesus plus something equals cursed. Are you following? That's bad news. We're stuck on a mountain of curses, and so it leaves us with the question, if we don't rely on works of the law, if we can't or shouldn't or ought not rely on the works of the law and our own effort to get off the mountain of curses, then what do we rely on? 
How do we cross the divide? How do we get out of this hopeless state into one where there is hope? Is there any chance? Is there any way? Galatians does not leave us wondering long, so I won't either. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14 say this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and all God's people said, amen, right? That's the good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. City Light, Paul is saying that Jesus is not like us. Because we could not keep the law, we must stand on the mountain of curses and there is no way out. Our sin held us there, captivated us there, kept us there. Only hopelessness and death awaited us. But that's not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who followed his Father's will perfectly. He never disobeyed the law. He never rebelled against God's will. Jesus did it. And so he alone gets to stand on the mountain of blessing. Can you see the picture of Deuteronomy coming into focus for us today? Paul is saying that Jesus stood on the mountain of blessing alone and everyone else, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, young and old, then and now, everybody else stands on the mountain of curses. And there's a huge gap between the two. How do we get across? How do we get to Jesus? We don't. He crossed over for us. Do you see it? Jesus became the curse for us. He crossed the divide that we could not cross so that he could stand with us and become like us and take the curse that we deserved on himself. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin and mine, the curse that we should have borne, he bore on our behalf. Jesus became the curse for us. So it's no longer on us. That is good news, city light. And the good news just keeps getting better. Because the, the, the good news of faith in Jesus Christ isn't just that he takes the curse off of us. It's not just that he came to us to remove the curse. It's that he makes a way for us to cross back over, cross the valley we could not cross on our own, and stand on the mountain of God's blessings now and all our days. The good news keeps getting better. Listen, I'm not making this up. I want you to see it in the Bible. Uh, Galatians 3.11 says, The righteous shall live by faith. The way across the valley separating death and life is faith in Jesus Christ. That's where life is. That's not all Galatians says. Galatians says, The life I now live in the flesh City Light, this is not some future spiritual life that we wonder about after we die. Paul is saying the life I now live, living, breathing, walking, talking, fleshing, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in who? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself that he might take the curse off of us and give his blessing to us. Do you see it? Jesus 
plus nothing equals blessing. Jesus plus nothing equals life. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's the good news of the gospel. And so I want to end where we started, City Life. We want to be a gospel-centered church. We preach it often and always. But the Galatians started that way too, right? They started by hearing and faith and the Holy Spirit. And then this Jesus plus something started creeping in. And so the message of Galatians is not just a message for them. It's a message for us. It matters. And so I want to end here today with just a real life story of how this impacts our hearts, our church. All right? I've got a friend. And a few weeks ago, we were talking. And he just shared with me, Eric, I'm having trouble sleeping. I said, man, that's not good. Um, tell me more about that. Why don't you sleep? And he said, I wake up at night burdened with worry, with anxiety, and I can't get back to sleep. And I said, what are you worried about? Uh, he said, everything. I worry about my job. I wonder if I'm doing a good job. I wonder if other people are um, being treated fairly. I wonder if there's anything else I could about whether or not I'm, and I worry about that. And I worry about my family. I worry about whether or not I'm loving my wife well and partnering with her well. And I worry about my kids. Am I making good decisions uh, as we raise them? Do they know that they're loved? Do they have a secure foundation as they grow up? I worry about my friends. Some of my friends are in financial positions that I just want to be able to do more about, and some of them have uh, job stresses and work uh, and, and home stresses and marriage stresses, and all of these things go on, and I just wake up, and I just can't get it out of my head. I just think and think and churn and turn, and I can't figure it out, and I lay awake at night getting no sleep. The anxiety and the stress and the worry keep me awake. He didn't use these words as he described it, but... As he talked, it, uh, he seemed to say that that worry and anxiety felt like a curse. Because try as he might, he just couldn't sort his own way out. He tried everything he knew how to do. He was at a loss. Working and working and striving and toiling didn't fix the problem. And so we prayed and we talked and our conversation took a turn when we started exploring what would it look like to live in light of the reality that Jesus is a better Savior than you are? What would it look like to live by faith, trusting that Jesus is a better Savior than you are? A better caretaker, a better provider, a better Savior. And so he thought and prayed, and he committed, okay, I'm determined when I wake up at night stressed out and anxious, instead of using my own mind to try to sort all that out, instead of trying to be the Savior myself, instead of trying to save myself and the people around me, I'm going to give this to God in prayer. Right, you've all heard give it to God and thought, what does that mean? He determined, I'm going to give it to God in prayer. Instead of stressing, I'm going to start praying I'm going to say, ask God to be the Savior that I cannot be. It was an exercise in admitting that he could not work hard enough to save himself or anybody else. He needed Jesus to do it. And so I talked to him uh, recently and asked him how it was going. And he said, well, you know what? I've prayed more than I ever have. Uh, I've trusted Jesus with more than I ever knew how to trust him with. 
And in the last few weeks, I've slept through the night a couple times. It's not like all better. It's not like everything was lifted, but I'm on my way. I feel like God is answering my prayers. I feel like there's hope now where there was only hopelessness before. You see what's happening? The curse lifting is not the curse of not sleeping, and now he gets to sleep. The blessing isn't a full night's sleep. The curse was the burden of having to, to work hard to save himself and all of his family and friends. He could not do it. It was breaking him. It was burdening him. And as he gives that to Jesus, as he takes off of his heart this Jesus plus my own effort, Jesus plus my own works, Jesus plus me is the Savior, and goes to Jesus plus nothing, he experienced the blessing of salvation in Christ alone. The burden is lightened. Jesus is taking it for him. He is a worthy and able Savior. See, like the gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And and so my friend, he found the way out of the curse wasn't trying, it was trusting. It wasn't fretting. It was faith. And I, wanna, I just want to say, I think there are probably people in here who believe salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we function like salvation is by Jesus and us. I do that. My friend did that. My guess is some of you do that. And so I just want you to hear today Paul's encouragement. His words, Jesus plus something is crazy. It's foolishness. Your own works can't get you there. If you think they can, it is a curse. But in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham, this promise of God that he would bless Abraham and all the peoples of the earth, the blessing of God comes through faith in Christ alone. You don't need to strive. The righteous live by faith. And I think for others of you in here, you've maybe never turned to Jesus. You've just stood on the mountain of curses, feeling the stress of a death trap with no way out. And you're looking and longing and wondering, what would it be like to stand on the mountain of blessings? Can I just say to you this morning, there is only one way, and it has a name. The name is Jesus Christ. He came to get you and take you back. City Light, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that is good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, awesome God. I just, honestly, I don't think it's fair how good the news of your gospel is. I just keep thinking as I'm reading Galatians and studying it, preaching it even, that someday the hammer is going to fall and it's going to say, Nope, Eric, it depends on you too. You got to keep trying and working. And it just never does. The truth of the gospel is that we can't do it on our own and we need Jesus alone. And so God, I just ask, even this morning, would you convince me of that afresh? 
Would you show me the good news in a way that it feels like good news, not with things added to it, not with laws and, and all of the other striving and toiling that I want to add in. God, would you strip it all away and give me Jesus alone? God, would you do that for our church? Would we, would we be a church? Would you make us a church with our eyes set on you, throwing off everything that might hinder so we find our salvation in you and you alone? Oh God, for the people here who are, who are just pondering, man, I do. I do try to add my own efforts and works. I believe in Jesus, but I believe in myself. God helps those who help themselves. I trust that more than the gospel. God, would you grant those people freedom this morning? Would you take off the burden of striving and straining and toiling and give them joy in you? And God, for the people who've never turned to you, who've who've wandered the mountain of curses looking for a way off and never yet turned to you, God, today, would you call them out? We know that you died, Jesus, to take on the punishment for their sins, to take the curse off of them, and to make a way for them to know God's blessing. God, that's not true for just people back then who Paul was writing to. It's true for us now. And so if you need a way out, a way out of the curse, a way out of the death, now life can feel the weight of all that. Man, today would you turn to Jesus? Would you just ask him, Jesus, would you be my way out? Would you grow in me the faith to follow you where you lead? Would you take this burden off of me and give me the joy of blessing God? Oh, would you pray that today? Maybe for the first time. Jesus, it's our prayer. The people in this room, that the community around us, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, across Southwest Iowa, into Kansas City, all over God, that they would know that the gospel is not Jesus plus something. It is Jesus plus nothing. We thank you for that good news. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.